0: Here today, I'll be talking about a particularly interesting and mind-bending topic. I find the question is: Do people have souls? Now, when you think of the word soul, what do you think of? For me, it's some sort of spiritual part of each and every one of us, something that is tethered to all of us. I also believe it makes us who we are in a way, similar to someone's identity. However, I feel that when people think identity, it is some sort of label that people remember you by. Soul is different. For example, the Google search engine defines the soul as the spiritual or immaterial part of a human being or animal, regarded as immortal. Although I agree with these terms, I feel that the soul is more than something that can just be defined. It's a feeling, an essence. Furthermore, throughout this podcast, I have some key points I'd like to cover. So although my questions and points may seem short, easy to answer or respond to, these may just be some of the hardest questions to delve into for this metaphysics topic. So for more about souls, Aristotle is known for being many things, like the father of western philosophy and a great scientist. He's also known for being the philosopher who defined souls. According to Aristotle, the soul is a quality that is responsible for performing vital functions to an organism's system, so that when the body performs its desired actions, it will do so with virtue. In effect, the soul is some sort of essence, but is not a body in itself, nor a corporeal thing. So, this means that the thing that makes living organisms, human, plants, animals, respectively, is that we have souls. However, he also says that the soul is, in a way, reliant on the body, and needs matter to perform its functions to the best of its abilities. In my opinion, this is in a way connected to the theory of dualism, which is the the doctrine that the two types of realities, those two being the physical and the immaterial, are separate from each other. So the soul is not an object, and the body is not an essence. They are each their own elements, but thrive with each other. Now, Socrates and Plato's work, Phaedo, had four arguments for the existence of the soul. He believed that the soul was immortal, and one of the one of his four arguments I found particularly interesting was called the theory of recollection. He said that when someone learns or acquires knowledge, it is only an act of recollecting things of which we previously knew, and therefore an innate sense of knowledge. So he obviously does not support Locke's tabula rasa. <laughs> So to put into the real world, we may have an understanding of what two things mean to be equal, even though we do not have experience with two things being completely and utterly equal. I found this concept interesting because when I read this section, I began to think about things that are equal, or are supposed to be. I began to think about money and that little brain teaser that people ask, what's heavier, a pound of flour or a pound of feathers? Once you read something so mind-blowing and out there, you begin to lose trust in things you once knew. That is currently how I feel about metaphysics. It quite literally makes you question everything you thought you knew. Things that you were taught, things that you have experienced, universal truths about the world. It makes you question literally everything. On another note, before I trail off about how difficult and deep metaphysics is, I want to talk about the existence of souls. I read in an article based on a more scientific point of view because science is something people trust and rely on quite a bit even though it has its faults. But who doesn't? Dr. Robert Lanza, the author, is currently one of the world's leading scientists in regenerative medicine and was once noted as one of the top 100 most influential people in the Time magazine in 2014. He even has his own website. Yay! Firstly, it is hard for the scientific community to talk about the existence of the soul because they cannot find empirical and substantial evidence to support the soul. Scientific knowledge is more of a materialistic topic because throughout my science courses in my life it was about getting my hands dirty and working with materials and seeing physical and chemical changes. It is almost all about the empiricism to find absolute certainty with science. In the article I read, written by Lanza, he included that the soul is defined as the immaterial and immortal part of a person and is tied with a future life and existence after one's body dies. So when scientists bring up the soul, they say that the knowledge and wonders of the soul can all be figured out. In their point of view, neuroscience is the only way to get close to understanding souls and since science cannot prove that something lives after the body dies, there is no reference in the body or mind that survives death if the body does not. has stated, open air quote, the problem of the soul lies exactly here in understanding the nature of the self, the I in existence that feels and experiences life. Importantly, this has a direct bearing on the question of whether humans and other living creatures have souls. As Kant pointed out over 200 years ago, Everything we experience, including all the colors, sensations, and objects we perceive, are nothing but representations in our mind." Close quote. So I found that interesting because he mentions the I in existence, which I believe was a reference to Descartes in his theory, Cogito or sum. so I think, therefore I am. So does the soul think? If it does not, does it mean that it doesn't exist? And before asking more questions I cannot begin to answer, I also found it interesting how Lanza brought Kant into it. He mentioned that everything we think we experience is nothing but representations in our mind, and from there I thought of idealism. Idealism is the theory that abstract concepts like time, space, being, as well as laws are more fundamental than material objects. If Kant took this idealist perspective, perhaps since these things we perceive are in our mind, does that not make them real? Relying on science to answer non-scientific questions is dangerous. And as I said in my epistemology paper on the reliability of scientific knowledge, we become reliant on scientific method and technology and the way we go about finding answers, even though much of science is based on empiricism and sensory experience. But our perception and reality is tainted from external sources, and even the malicious demon, if you ask Descartes. Tracing back to Plato and his work, Phaedo, or Fido, Socrates had four arguments to prove that the soul is immortal. Argument from opposites, theory of recollection, argument from affinity, and a form, based on Plato's theory of forms. Argument from opposites suggests that for something to come about, it must come from its opposite. So if one must die, it must mean that they would have had to have lived. And if they die, then they mean that they must live. It means that life and death are pretty much continuous. As I mentioned before, the theory of recollection suggests that an act of learning or acquiring knowledge is based on the fact that it is actually an act of recollecting previously held knowledge, the opposite from a blank state of mind. As for the argument of affinity, it says that immaterial, invisible, and immortal things must be differentiated, therefore an idealist point of view. The form air quotes) says that just like the theory of forms, things are perfect in themselves. For example, the form of beauty is not capable of possessing ugliness, and the form of bravery is not capable of possessing cowardice. Of all of this, Socrates assumes that we are all alive because of our souls, similar to Aristotle's definition. The soul is what connects us to the form of life. In this way, the form of life of which we possess cannot be encountered with the form of death, and thus the soul cannot be encountered with death. Therefore, souls are immortal. I think another important topic to bring up in this discussion is religion, because souls are often spoken about in different religions, and those different religions may interpret the soul differently. The idea of souls, a mystical and spiritual life force that animates a biological matter, has been almost universal in human culture since prehistorical times, and talk of souls became part of popular belief in nearly all world religions. In his classic work the illusion of immortality written by philosopher corliss lamont he surveyed all the aspects of the subject of immortality from theological and philosophical to scientific and social he points out that the exact nature of the immortality that is preached in christianity as well as in other religions is not at all clear with many different doctrines being presented over the ages so that being said the soul or the definition of the soul has no clear meaning but instead many different meanings and interpretations throughout different religions and generations. In concerns to Buddhism, they do not believe in the soul nor the triumph of good over evil. Anatta is the word given in Buddhist doctrine to mean no soul or soullessness. Buddhism does not practice the existence of souls when although when it does mention souls, they give no real definition and speak of it negatively. So Buddhism does not teach that there is an eternal soul that survives from life to life. There is something, although, that passes on, but it is not what Westerners call the soul. So, like I said, different religions have different interpretations of the soul, and especially on whether they believe in it or not. Another one of my guiding questions I also wanted to delve into for this podcast was if good or bad souls are a thing, or if they exist. As we just finished our ethics unit, I figured that this could be an interesting thing to touch on, as it lines up with a personal experiment of mine. So, I've decided to do this little Test, I guess I could say, in which I do research on the good and the bad the souls may have. So after this research, I made a chart and examined several of my actions and decisions per day for a week and came to a consensus to each of them. Are my actions representative of a good soul, a good soul or a bad soul? And what would a good or bad soul look like? On the first day of this journey, I guess you could say, I had an argument with my sister about doing chores around the house. I sort of began the argument because she had piled all of her clothes onto the the chair that I wanted to sit on because everyone has that one chair in their house that just has a bunch of stuff on it, but no one wants to move it. So I asked her to move them, but instead of moving them, she asked me to move them into a hamper so it would be easier for her to carry them upstairs. I told her she was lazy for not doing a small part that really only involved her and her things and she went on about how I never do anything around the house, but that's because I'm not around during the day as much as she is. After much deliberation, I moved her clothes not for her, but for me, because I wanted to sit in the chair to complete my homework. I came to the consensus that me engaging in this argument is not representative of a good soul. Theories of good and evil trace back all the way from early religions like Zoroastrianism and Gnosticism. Zoroastrianism talked about the dualism between good and evil, and also called it light and darkness. So the wise created good, and the hostile spirit created bad. Gnosticism followed the Mediterranean during the early years of Christianity. They considered the material and physical world evil. The soul was the only pure trait of existence. So both Zoroastrianism and Gnosticism follow the belief that good triumphs over evil, contrary to um, what Buddhism says. Now, the term good is considered as right or desirable, and the term evil is more distinguished with bad and undesirable, and that kind of follows through today. Good is known for enhancing the satisfaction of life, and bad does the exact opposite in preventing the satisfaction of life. So if I put two and two together, me initiating an argument with my sister because of her faults doesn't make me the bigger person, and probably doesn't result in someone with a good soul. The day after this, I bought my friend food, from the cafeteria because she was in rush and wasn't able to do so because she hadn't brought any food for herself that day. Doing this enhanced a partial part of satisfaction because 1 I felt better about helping a friend out and 2 because she must have felt slightly less stressed about her lunch that day. After that day I studied for all of lunch in the library. Now I won't tell you all the little details of why I went to the library to study when I could study anywhere but if I said that I knew there is a particular male entity there every lunch within my peripheral vision from where I sit, that would indeed have an effect on where I spend my lunches. <laughs> but what does this contribute to a good or a bad soul? What exactly does this say about me? I used most of my time dedicated to studying and looming over someone in the library instead of using time to converse with my friends who I haven't spoken to a while. As of right now, I have no consensus for this situation, but we'll get to that later. So I listed plenty more of my actions throughout the week, some good, some bad, some with no effect. It's hard to say whether one week of data coming up with results for my actions would tell me if I have a good or a bad soul. There's no way one week is nearly enough. I mean, there are sources of error as well. Perhaps this was a bad week, maybe I had too much on my plate and wasn't in a very good mood, Or maybe this was a good week and I felt like giving to the people around me. Or maybe this was just a pretty average week. (laughs) Actions speak louder than words, but it's difficult to think that people's perceptions and opinions of you ride on that. It's also difficult to use the words good and evil. It's like a spectrum, and evil seems to be at the very worst side of it, and good seems to be at the very best side of it. After doing a small week of results, analyzing my actions and decisions, noting my emotions I felt during these actions, I've come to the consensus that I'm just your very average being. Oh, thank you. Everyone has something going on in their lives that they may or may not talk about, and our actions reflect these things that go on behind closed doors. So deciding whether someone has a good soul isn't not worth one's time, but it takes some deep thought, analysis, and is much more personal than one might think. That's why I decided to do it. I thought it would bring a different perspective than just talking about what souls are and to really apply it to life using ethics. And to be honest, you can't really determine someone's soul until you really know them. And I think I'm the only one who knows myself best, so I guess I'm the only one to determine whether my soul is good or bad, and that can be said for anyone. So to wrap it up, the topic I wanted to cover today was if people have souls. Conclusively, I believe they do. From Socrates, to early religions, to several philosophers, the soul is not an object nor something that can be examined by science. Metaphysics is, metaphysics, in philosophy is a difficult subject matter to wrap one's head around, and doing this podcast is just one part of it. Philosophy is all about asking questions even when we might not receive immediate answers, if any, and talking about things we think are simple, but are actually much more complex. Over the years, I believe it will become easier. Maybe we will begin to answer questions with more ease, or maybe we will develop more and more questions that will be harder to understand, but I think that's what makes it more fun and interesting. Anyways, thanks for listening to this podcast of your daily area, and until next time.